Rising Above with Becky Davidson. You know, when you work with this community of people, you hear a lot of hard things. And, you know, I know there's only one Savior, and it ain't me. And that's the good news. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining me for our last episode for the month of February. Now just a friendly reminder that the early bird rate for in-person tickets for this year's Buy the Brook event for moms of individuals with disabilities ends in just a few days at the end of this month. And we would love nothing more than for you to come and join us live here in Cookville, Tennessee on June 21st and 22nd. But if you can't be with us live and in person, we will have virtual tickets available in just a few weeks. And you can find out all the information on the By the Brook page on the Rising Above website. And we'll also include a link in the show notes for you to find out more information about this event that we are planning just for you. My guest today is Deborah Peterman. And Deborah is a special needs sibling. She's been married for 38 years and is a mother to two. She's also a special needs advocate and she has worked for many years in disability ministry. And she has a wealth of professional and personal knowledge related to the disability space. So here's my conversation with Deborah Peterman. Hey, Deborah, how are you? I'm good, Becky. Well, I am so glad to get to meet you. I appreciate you being on the show today, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you and your journey um, as a special needs sibling and all the things you have done in the disability space. So thanks for being here today. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. So just start us off. I, this is the first time we have ever met. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you like to do, those kinds of things. Okay. So my name is Deb or Deborah, depending if I was in trouble with my mom or not. Gotcha. Um, I'm 67 years old and I have white hair for our listeners. Uh, I've been married um, 38 years to Doug and have two daughters. Um, one is 32 and the other... Um, uh, we lost her when she was 18 and a half years old. Mm. Um, so, and the interesting thing is I was waiting for her in her dorm room to bring her home for Christmas. And uh, on her diaries board, uh, she wrote, if God brings you to it, he will get you through it. You are amazing God. So I'm so thankful that I know where our Danielle is. Mm. Um, so um, I began the Bridge Builders Disability Ministry at my church, Vineyard Columbus, about 27 years ago. And I'm currently mentoring our new director of special needs ministry when she's doing an awesome job. I was, I was afraid that if I should pass and not have anyone being mentored, the ministry would probably die. Um, and I still lead the teen adult class called Bodybuilders. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, you are very, very busy in the disability space, working with families and, you know, I know you've done this for many, many years, but your journey into the disability world began actually with your brother, Rodney. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your brother and what it was like growing up with a brother with developmental disabilities. Well, um, my brother, my sister was 17 months older than myself and my brother's five years younger than my, than me. Um, he was born typical and got uh, sick at six months of age. 
Um, he, uh, they didn't give infant uh, aspirin. And so uh, they were uh, thinking that it would cause rise syndrome. And so he was in the hospital for about a month. And then he came back home and he was a very different little boy. Um, so Rodney, uh, I asked my mother when she, when they got that diagnosis, they knew something was up. Um, it was around the age of four. And um, she said it was a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, let's face it, your son is retarded. So that's how she got that blow. Um, you know, my mom knew something was up with Rodney. I mean, he had, she had us two daughters, and she knew he wasn't reaching his milestones. So uh, once we got the uh, diagnosis, of course, comes the, the journey of finding out, you know, ways that um, he can be served and, and grow as to be the person he was meant to be. Um, but I will say that, um, my brother's main disability was developmental disability. He was nonverbal his entire life. Um, mm. He's on the autism spectrum, and he had a um, very violent outburst as he got older. Mm. Um, but I always say about my brother that he may never have spoken a word in his life, but his life still speaks volumes. So, yeah, so what was that like for you? You said there's about a five your age difference between the two of you. And so what was that like for you? And especially, you know, back years ago, life for people living with disabilities looked different than it does now. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you? And what were some of the challenges that you faced during that time? Well, I think it's really important for all viewers to remember that disability history um, really wasn't happening until the 1950s. And um, the author Pearl S. Buck wrote uh, The Girl Who Never Grew about her daughter who had developmental disability. And that was scandalous. No one wrote about their person. And then uh, in 1960, John F. Kennedy talked about his sister, Rosemary Kennedy, and that was scandalous. So Rodney was born in 1961, and he um, began Rosemary Kennedy School on Long Island four years later. So, wow. uh, you know, our family has gone through the whole process of, uh, you know, people living in institutions to um, special education schools, then mainstreaming, inclusion, due process, IDA, American Disabilities Act, and the unprepared mass mess of disinstitutionalization uh, in the 80s. So, um, you know, we have been part of that flow of things. And so what, what I have found is, you know, young families are not aware about the history and they feel like we're not moving fast enough. So I'm very grateful for all of those uh, things happening to help us as a family. Mm -hmm. So when you were younger growing up and your, your brother is dealing, you know, you're trying, you know, you're discovering all these differences and all these things that are going on. How did that impact your family? You know, you think back to that time when your brother's born, he gets sick, you, you start discovering that things are going to be different. And so how did this impact your family? You know, things were so different back then. And like you said, a lot of times people didn't talk about um, their their brother or sister or child who had a disability. And so... What were things like for your family during that time? Well, I'm grateful that my parents had a great marriage. Um, I think my mother was a Jesus seeker then. Um, my father just loved her. 
And so we were blessed to, he had the finances to run a business so that uh, we could financially support different therapies and that kind of stuff. But um, as far as my sister and I, you know, we both handled it differently. Uh, my sister being older, she was the quiet one and she kind of rebelled a little bit. And so I saw what happens when you rebel. Um, so I became the good daughter. And she and I kind of laugh about that now, but that's kind of how I survived. Um, and I can share that in a little, a little bit ago, but um, I did find out, I, I found a, on Facebook, one of my teachers, believe it or not, and I asked him, I said, did you know I had a brother with special needs? And he said, no. And so that was sur- surprising because my mom was, I, I think they were just trying to keep their head above water, right. you know, and, um, you know, maybe that just wasn't something that you share because we had mm-hmm. those private things as a family we don't talk about outside of the home. Um, so no one really knows, you know, that we're kind of falling apart inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting as I later, as, as after I became a Christian, I went to counseling and um, the counselor kind of re- related it to living with a person with up, that's an alcoholic, where when there's stuff happening in the family, everything kind of revolves around them. If it's a good day, yeah, you can have friends over. If it's not, um, so, you know, and I've asked my friends who have indeed grown up with an alcoholic and, and, they, and they totally agreed. Mm. So what were some of the joys? I know there were hard things. I know there were things that were challenging. Maybe people didn't get and understand your family. But what were some of the joys that came from having Rodney as your brother? Well, it's really weird, but I would introduce my friends and say, this is my brother, Rodney. He's retarded because it was just that who was the he word. was. Yeah, that <laughs> was the word back back then. I'm sure some of our listeners are like, oh, my goodness, she said the R word. I did, you know? I did yeah. but that was the diagnosis. That was the word. And that was right. the word. And right. But their faces, I, I remember correctly, they were kind of in shock, like, this is the information I don't know what to do with. <laughs> right. But I was very proud of him. Uh, he's a beautiful little boy. And, you know, he taught me how to be with whomever Jesus brings in my midst. So, mm-hmm. you know, one thing people need to remember that siblings live longer than parents. So we are our siblings' first friends. We're, um, you know, their advocate. And we will live longer with them for the most uh, yeah. part. Yeah. So... Back all those years ago, what did, how did the community respond? I know you were very free and open about, you know, hey, here's my brother. <laughs> but what did, how did the community, how did church, how did people um, in your area respond to your brother? Mm-hmm. Well, we were attending a church as a typical church family. Um, and when uh, Rodney's behaviors became more intense, my parents would take turns to go to church. You know, frankly, when they got the diagnosis, the church didn't know what to do with us. Right. And so they didn't include us at all. And the ironic thing is I have one family photo. You know, those photos that you get at Walmart, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was taken by for our church directory. It is the only picture of my brother with our family in the church. Mm-hmm. They never had a place for him in our church. But, you know, community-wise, I think, you know, we were starting to meet other families, but that was word of mouth, and there was a, lar- a large group of parent advocates happening uh, on Long Island. So my, I think my mother got really plugged into that. Um, but I will tell you this, you know, it, when, when my parents had to take turns, my, my father decided not to, to come. That was not his thing. So uh, my grandmother picked up my sister and I in her new uh, Mustang, 
and she would ride 30 miles an hour to take us to church. And of course, we're ducking in our seats, you know, embarrassed. But, but because of her faithfulness, I met my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Leverage. And Mr. Leverage showed me what Jesus is like with skin on it. He listened. He was gentle. Um, he, I, I can't imagine the conversations I had with him, but I never felt like he was shocked or anything like that. It was just, it, it, he listened, maybe more so than my own father. Mm. Well, your brother Rodney passed away when he was, I think, 50 is what your note said. Yes. And what is it you miss most about him? You know, we worked so hard to get him to smile. You know, and when he smiled, it, it was nothing better. And um, in fact, uh, before he passed away, you know, um, typically a family shot with my sister and Rodney, you know, he would do that autistic, you know, neck up in the air and stare and, you know, whenever we say smile. But Mm -hmm. I actually got one really wonderful one of the three of us and he's smiling and so joyful. I just said, I can die now. I've got a picture of Rodney, you know. (laughs) You miss a smile. Miss and, a smile. Yeah. You know, I don't miss the behaviors. I became his guardian. Um, so I understood the impact of what many parents experience as an IEP and the attack uh, that felt the, uh, professionals against parents. And um, I, so I finally had a taste of that because I realized that his in-home plan meetings uh, when he was in a group home was all about behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so funny story, uh, you know, he, he learned how he, he was a big coffee and, and soda thief. Um, <laughs> he, he was, and I have funny stories with that too. But anyway, he decides he's going to leave his group home and go down a major road to the local um, convenience store. So they call me that night and I'm picturing this. They said, Rodney, walk down to the convenience mart. And I'm picturing a, a, a front picture of Rodney and a side picture of and a sign says, if you see this man, give him anything he wants. Oh, goodness. But So we had this in-home plan meeting to figure out how are we going to deter him from doing this again? Mm-hmm. We just learn behaviors. So uh, we find, and so they, they were determined he had to be part of the meeting. Uh, I always said, I don't believe he should be part of it because we're talking about him and he does not have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he came and... Um, so he finished a sandwich that they had used to bribe him. And what does he do during this meeting? He takes off. So oh, no. <laughs> it's only Rodney, right? So anyway, we learned that he doesn't like to go outside without his shoes on. So we just hid his shoes. So it's the stories that we tell as families. It, right. We get that joy and the humor in it. Because uh, mm-hmm. otherwise, I think we would be kooky nutty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to celebrate some amazing heroes of the special needs community. We're talking about the siblings, the extra responsibilities they face, the flexibility they must have, and the sometimes missed memories are just a part of what it means to be the sibling of a child with special needs. For that reason, we created a fun event for them called the Sib Show. We'd love for you to check out this free download for the special needs sibling in your life. You can find it at risingaboveministries.org or on the Rising Above app. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and isn't it fun then to think about like the reunion that you'll have, you know, when all things are made new mm-hmm. and you'll get to to see him in his fullness. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know about you, but those are that's those are the things that get me through on those hard days. Absolutely. I mean, I always think, you know, he would turn his head and look into space and he'd smile. And I always wanted to know what he was thinking. So I'm hoping that when we're in heaven, um, I can say, so what were you thinking? Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> I, I joked about that with uh, my son and his caregivers. And it's like, you know what? I cannot wait for us to have conversations with him and go, you know, when you did this, what were you thinking? And, and what were you thinking about all the conversations we were having? you know, around you. And so I think it'll be fun. It would be fun. To to know all those things. So tell us about how your brother's life, you know, I think impacted others. You know, I think so often, you know, people on the outside will look at our family members and only see the disability. But I know you as his sister, caregiver, saw so much more. So how did his life impact others that maybe most people wouldn't see or understand? Well, he impacted every part of my life. You know, he was my brother. You know, we lived in the same house. We had somewhat the same rules. Um, he he stretched us. Um, I have a favorite book called The Power of the Powerless, written by a sibling. And uh, he was talking about his brother, Oliver, who has a severe disability. And when he passed away, uh, the priest said, um, uh, Oliver showed us who his parents really are. And I feel like Rodney pulled love out of me that no one else can. Mm. Um, And also in that book, he talks about bringing home girlfriends to meet his brother, Oliver. And they would usually sit at the family table. And then one of the uh, siblings would take the meal up and feed Oliver. And and this, this uh, Christopher DeVink is the author. He said, um, I would ask, you know, a girl if she wanted to go with me. And they usually said no. And, and then he met Rosemary. And, and Rosemary um, said, can I go with you? Mm-hmm. And then she, she gets there and she said, can I feed him? You know, who would you marry? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I gauged my dates with how they treated my brother. And even to my current spouse. Um, you know, he had to pass the Rodney check, which was a mm. stare down, probably like six minutes in front of, six uh, inches in front of you. Uh, and Doug hung in there. And so he passed because he passed the test because I knew that, you know, we're going to have a lifetime together and, mm-hmm. and he's a part of it. Um, yeah. But I do have, you know, that shattered dream as a sibling that I wish he could have lived with us. Um, his behavior did get really bad, Becky, and, and he couldn't. I had a two year old mm-hmm. daughter at the time and. And my heart was broken because I thought that was what my life was going to look like. Right. Um, but, but Rodney, you know, uh, my sister was a special ed teacher her whole life and is retired now. So she reached that community of students. And, you know, a lot of my professional, uh, after uh, Christ, my professional endeavors have been with the disability community. Um, you know, they all became my people the day my brother was diagnosed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I much prefer to be with people with IDD than people who got it together. Right. Don't, uh, our, our community of people are just amazing. And just the love they have uh, for each other and for us, uh, I, I consider us the blessed ones yeah. to have family members who are unique. And uh, I know you do as well. And, you know, we often talk about here at Rising Above that so often, you know, the this, this special needs siblings are the 
unsung hero of the family because so often they get overlooked because of the brother or sister who has special needs and often called the shadow siblings. And so what was that like for you? Did did you ever feel like you might be a shadow sibling, kind of not seen in certain situations? And then how can we come alongside to support and encourage siblings? Mm -hmm. Well, when I started kindergarten, I was five. And um, I did not know that I had a hearing impairment, a significant hearing loss until third grade. Um, And so I added that new thing onto one more classification of what your child can and cannot do. Um, And so that that was really hard because I wanted to be the good daughter at all costs. And um, I'm hoping I'm not turning this around, this question around, but, you know, um, at all costs, I want. I became a people pleaser. I my mother became my god. She, she. Uh, I mean, we ended up not being part of the church. So who did I land with? Is my mother. She knew me. She, you know, could uh, admonish me, encourage me, drive me, all that kind of stuff. So you know, when she passed away, I was lost. So I saw my mother walking with the Lord, and uh, as I got older, and. And I figured when she passed away that if she thinks Jesus is good, then I'm going to seek him. Um, I was saved at 34. And um, I, I laughed about this. You know, the only thing my mother liked to do and could get done is sewing. She was very a wonderful seamstress. I always look good. Um, but when she died, I inherited her sewing machine, her miles of fabric, and all her patterns. And on the patterns, she had scriptures written on them. Oh, wow. So my family Bible is Vogue, McCall's, uh, all those different things. So, you know, having my mother have something that she likes to do, um, un- unsung, I don't know. I think, you know, we just survived. And mm. um, and we did the best we could as a family. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you do it without the Lord. Um you know, just knowing what his perspective is versus what mm-hmm. the world says. But, um, you know, I have, I have uh, when I went to counseling after I was saved, a uh, Christian counselor looked at me and she, uh, seriously and she said, you have a high tolerance for inappropriate behavior. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, it's got a name, you know, and, and I just thought I was doing well with people. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until a couple months ago. Remember, I'm 67. A couple months ago, I went to a, a prayer service and I had been praying that God would kill the people pleasing in me to take it out the root out because it is not working for me. It never has. And it is a form of manipulation. And I, that was my prayer. And so when some people started praying for me, the word survival came up. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, survival? Because I'm thinking usually my friends who maybe survived um, sexual assault or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it came up again. And as I was sharing it with the people, God showed me that I became a people pleaser to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the way I was going to be in good cahoots with my parents, with anybody, get the strokes I needed, all of that. And I, I was trying to walk with Jesus with that. And honestly, I can tell you that I have been set free from that. Just having that word spoken and me speaking mm-hmm. it out loud. Um, and so Jesus is the first person I go to. I don't go to, you know, anything else uh, first anymore. So um, I wish I had him growing up. 
Um, but, you know, God in his time and his faithfulness, he knew yeah. exactly when I was ready to hear it. Yeah. Well, I know, I know you mentioned just a minute ago that you yourself have a hearing impairment. So how did that, you discovered it, what, in third grade? Yes. So how did that impact you um, going through school? Mm-hmm. So getting my first set of hearing aids in third grade, I had a teacher that was not very kind. And uh, I was getting used to, I had the behind the ear kind of uh I bought them in New York City, and I, here I'm walking with my new hearing aids in New York City with all the honking and the car noise, and it was quite overwhelming. Because in those days, they would um, uh, amplify every sound. Now, your digitals, you know, can fine-tune it. But um, my, when, wherever we would line up as a class to go somewhere, my teachers said, do you have your hearing aids on in front of all the kids? Mm. And that's when I started ha- hating them. Um, I do, I do need them. Um, it impacted school. Um, and just the pressure of trying to keep up with my fellow students grade wise. Um, I'm going to confess, I learned how to cheat mm-hmm. and uh, I, I wanted to fit in at all costs and, and nothing was happening. Um, the other thing, uh, you know, to, for college prep, we were required to take a language class. So here I am trying to learn French when I can't even hear. Mm-hmm. all the, the details of it. So a lot right. of it just felt like a, a failure. Um, and I'm trying to do the best that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, my father actually, when I was younger, would do my math homework for me because it was easier and what, so he could watch TV. So, you know, now yeah. it wasn't easy for me. Right. Um, but, you know, my dad did the best that he could. Mm-hmm. And I know he needed a mental rest. He didn't have the Lord. So, you know, we just, Kathy and I just learned how to be at peace in our situation. Mm. So with the hearing loss, um, I've, I've got a pretty substantial loss. And you probably can tell um, with the way I talk, I, I had years of speech therapy. And um, I kind of laugh because, you know, these people who are putting piercing their tongues, they're sounding like what I sounded like, <laughs> what sound like but I was yeah. trying to avoid all this time. So, mm. um yeah, you know, I I, my, I laugh because my husband's sight is terrible and my hearing is bad. So whenever he whispers sweet nothings in my ear, I just say, what? <laughs> <laughs> Type it out, please. Send me a text. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, your brother's life had an impact on you, obviously, but it it impacted the the way your story is going now. And so... Share with us a little bit about the different things that you have done to help and improve the lives of families living with disabilities. Well, you know, I originally didn't want to go this route, um, and, but I, I, you know, I was praying. I, I was people pleasing a lot in the beginning, and I was getting burned out because God was doing so many great things around me. So I pray about, well, where, what do you want me to do? And, um, and I. He showed me a Sunday school class with my brother in it. And honestly, I said, no, um, pick something else. You know, I'm done with that. And I would take my daughters to different playgrounds and there would be a family there that I could not readily invite because our church wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And so I finally laid a fleece. I, uh, I was at my foot doctor's office and there was a Moody magazine on the floor and I opened it up to under his wings how to teach multi-handicapped children about God. So there I am with uh, my socks off and I'm like, 
okay. And, and I went to my children's pastor and of course I was stuttering because I knew the minute I voiced it, it was commitment. Mm. And so I just said, I think God wants me to start a class. And she said, that's great. She didn't have that answer. Uh, well, let's see. Let's pray about it. Cause she knew God, God is the true author of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely encouraged to, to do that. Um, you know, he brought me two kids for our first Sunday school class. And, um, and I, and all these people were saying, Oh, I just see the door blown open. And I'm like, Lord, you only sent two people. Mm-hmm. And it was like he said to me, um, you know, your church may be ready. You may have pre- created a space for it, but it doesn't mean that mom and dad want to come. You know, we're working with a generation of people who were not churched. And so when they get a new diagnosis, the church is not the first, and God is not the first place to go. Mm-hmm. To, to go. So they go to Easter Seals, they go to the local DD board, you know, all those things that get really, really good support. And, um, but they don't give you Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so with that, you know, the ministry itself is called, it was called Bridge Builders. And, um, you know, 27 years, you know, different spurts and all those kind of things. I've had the opportunity to mentor a lot of church leaders on inclusion. Um, I worked for Johnny and Friends. I actually did, uh, volunteered five years for them and then was employed for 14 and a half years as a church relations manager, my job was to train churches to be inclusive. Mm. And, you know, to be honest, that was a really hard thing to do because part of me is like, come on church, who did Jesus hang out with? Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a hard thing to do. But during that time with Johnny and friends, um, I did a, a several mission trips and we went to El Salvador and we did a pastoral training. One really cool story is uh, on the, on the fourth night, uh, um, we also had a family retreat in El Salvador. Um, the pastors came and were in the midst of the families. And I saw one particular pastor just sitting by himself. And, and then this little boy came up and, and jumped on his seat, on his lap. Um, so the next day was the pastoral, you know, farewell. Tell us what, you know, you learned this week. And this pastor shared that his wife had passed away like four weeks before. Oh, I didn't know what I'm going to do with my life. And then this little boy jumps on my lap and I know what to do now. Mm. And so that, that Jesus moment, um, how God can use anyone to, to woo us to him and to have purpose. Um, mm-hmm. So that was so satisfying. Um, now, uh, the other things that I do, um, I'm employed by a center for independent living, which are non-residential independent living centers. And what I love is, is this. I have a Christian boss, and, um, and it's not a Christian organization. And I'm now working with the people that w- my family depended on all those years, mm-hmm. people who are in the community, resources, um, families, there's people who work in the field of disabilities that are also family members. Um, I am so blessed with the people that I've met in my life because of my brother. Mm. You know, um, yeah. that experience. Uh, and, I, you know, when I said about the high talent for inappropriate behavior, um, when leading the disability ministry at church, I would get calls from families who have been asked to leave their previous church. Right. And so I would say, I am... Um, I have a high tolerance for inappropriate behavior. And we'd start laughing. And it's like God used that to break the ice 
so that that family would feel heard, mm-hmm. you know. Well, what's next for you? I know you have some ideas of some things you would like to do going into the future. Yep. So where do you feel God is leading you now? Well, I, I have talked to my boss and said, uh, I'm going to retire uh, June of next year. And But I have been praying about what's next. Um, I don't think God believes in retirement, um, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. But I always wanted to do a couple things. And so there's three things I want to do. Um, I would like, our church is accessible. And a lot of families who have kids that are using wheelchairs cannot afford to go to Chuck E. Cheese so that, you know, to have a party, that kind of thing. So why not um, have a church, you know, offer a room where a family could have their child's birthday party, Uh, maybe even make it a surprise birthday so that it's uh, more memorable and at the same time, we could have a small group that has children. So those children can be part of the party as well. And, you know, I pictured that, you know, churches can offer that every weekend. You know, one church on the south side, one on the left, you know, west side, that kind of thing. But, you know, not to charge them for it, but just to show the love of Jesus um, with a very life-giving uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my pastor talked about people's giftings and he said, you know, some people are drawn away from pain. Some are drawn through to pain. Um, and I am one of those that's drawn to pain. Um, I thought there was something wrong with me, but it, it's true. So one thing I, I feel um, very led to do is to create maybe a, a support group for adults or people with IDD um, who need to find a way to to mourn the person that they've lost. And um, we actually did a, a, a webinar on uh, how to help people with um, developmental disabilities mourn. And, um, you know, whether it be through a rock fountain or a table display or, or... And then the other thing is to help families who've lost a person with IDD um, to, to create a memorable a funeral service that represents who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had one sibling, I uh, lost her sibling. Her, her sister loved clowns. She loved ice cream sandwiches and helium balloons. So the staff came and they all wore her clown outfits. Uh, we had ice cream sandwiches and we let go of helium balloons. So there are ways that could be honoring um, the person who they are. And, you know, my hope is that when people see that we want to support these families, that they'll see Jesus through us. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, it sounds like you have got lots of things to be working on and for coming up. Uh, and, you know, you have faced a lot of different things in your, your life from your mm-hmm. own hearing impairment, from your brother with his um, disabilities. And so can you share with us what are ways that you rise above your circumstances and you find joy in your story? I think turning to the Lord is the first step. You know, when we see our circumstances are hard or we're approaching something that's hard or hearing something that's hard is, you know, um, going to him and asking him for his peace. Um, I think we're so quick to answer things and um, that kind of thing. So, you know, when you work with this community of people, you hear a lot of hard things. And, you know, I know there's only one Savior and it ain't me. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news. Um, so 
rising above, you know, for me at this age, it's like, Jesus, is this what you want me to be part of? You know, again, to just wait on him to really use his time wisely while I'm here. So rising above, it used to be me doing it myself, um, but I'm seeing hard things that I can't do anything about. Well, I appreciate so much you being a part of the show and just enjoyed getting to meet you and hearing about your journey as a sibling and the things that you do. So, Deborah, thank you so much. Oh, you're, you've got your finger up. You've got one more thing to tell me. I do. One of the questions asked, uh, how can a parent make a connection with that special sib? You know, I think what, what my parents did well is that my mom would take my sister and I out separately. So I had one-on-one time with my mom. So unfortunately, the activity was shopping. Um, so I'm recommending that you find another activity that's doable for the rest of your life because what I did when she passed away, it, I was seeking and grieving and I went shopping. Mm. So time, just time, one-on-one time with your, your um, children it is a big bucket filler. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom from your life. And uh, Deborah, we just appreciate you being on the show and sharing part of your journey with us. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. And remember, joy can be found in every story 